You know what time it is. Dream, plan, execute, episode 5. This is your opportunity to learn from other individuals working on their entrepreneurial and project management dreams and how they implement their dream plan and execute. In this podcast, we'll explore the metaphysics of dreaming and how to follow and listen to your intuition. We'll explore strategies from project management such as planning, writing down goals, scheduling and budgeting. Then we'll move to execution. We'll explore topics such as operational efficiency, mental toughness, grit, and using an athletic mindset. I'm your host, Ramon Parchment. Stay tuned and enjoy the episode. Mr. Parchment. Khalid, how are you doing, brother? I'm doing fantastic. How are you doing today, buddy? I'm good. I'm good. How are you day was going so far? What are you did today so far? You're, not, you're actually not going to believe it. I was in Pennsylvania this morning. I was actually recording another podcast. Oh, very nice. Very nice. Okay, nice. Well, same. everyone wants you on the podcast, and for good reason, Khalid, um, because not only have you been a good friend to me, but you are a good person. And you're one of those persons that I see executing planning and dreaming well you know and ultimately on this podcast that's the plan you know is putting together and creating people who dream plan and execute so for the audience who doesn't know our relationship and how you started um on your journey of entrepreneurship bring us back to who is khalid mohammed how you started on this journey and the progressions to get to this point Oh, man, I, I appreciate that. Before I jump into that, I just want to thank you for letting me on the show. Um, I, I've known you for a while, Ramon. How long has it been now? Since 2011, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. Good times, bro. I appreciate it. I, I, you know, I'm grateful to, what, uh, to the friendship that I have with you, bro. Like, you know how it is, you know, we're, we're, we're entering the early 30s now and you start seeing it, you know, like the number of friends you have drops off. So... Just, yeah. just being able to maintain a friendship over the years like that, it's not nothing, you know? <laughs> to the listeners, to the listeners who may not know you and they kind of only know about the vision that you're putting together, Ramon is one of the hardest working people, man. He uh, came from Jamaica. We studied civil engineering together at uh, Polytech NYU in Brooklyn. I think they call it Tandon now. And <laughs> Ramon, Ramon was just a straight hustler, man. Like, he... he he used to live in Queens and it was a, a pretty brolic commute back to Polly. And he used to literally sleep on the floor of the library. And, and now you are here, bro, you're building, you know, you're starting a family. It's beautiful, bro. It's like, it's the modern manifestation of the American dream. I, I, you know, I like what you're doing here with this podcast. I see you just published your book on how to plan uh, your dream wedding. So I think you, we, we attract what we deserve. I think we attract mm. what we are. And so any kind of high praise that you're trying to give me here, dude, I think it hauls back to you. So I, I just well, want to start off with that. I appreciate that, brother. And I mean... And if it wasn't true, right? I wouldn't say it. If it was, if it you know, was that's true, a fact. I wouldn't say it. <laughs> but that's one thing we know about Khalid is that, you know, you're a straight shooter. You know, you, you wear your emotions on your sleeves, but you're a good-natured and good-hearted person. And to me, I always try to surround myself with a person who... You know, it's not monetary for me. It's more like, are you there for me? And am I, am I willing to be there for you? You know what I mean? And that comes to the, the character of the person. 
Is the person loyal? Is the person committed? Is the person genuinely there for you in your moment of weakness? Or is it just a strategic relationship versus being a genuine friend? You know? You can't you can't be rough around the edges and also mm-hmm. a nasty individual, you know? Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh. no. I mean, I mean, reality is when we first met, I was like, yo, who is this kid, man? I'm about to watch this dude in the face. But you know what? I, in the- I, I would literally walk into differential equations and curse you out. <laughs> but it was good natured. It was it was good natured. I, I maintain, bro, that like you could say something reckless and it's the yeah. way that you say it. You know, yeah, that's a I, fact. Think, I think that's something that's a little lost today, nowadays mm-hmm. in the culture and the way mm-hmm. that people take things. But that's all right. I, I, I'm, I'm still trying to keep it alive, you know? I'm st- I, I still try to say reckless things from time to time. Well, you know what? It, it's, it's one of those things where, like, you can't take yourself too serious sometimes, right? Like, you know, you have these knee-jerk reactions in your head, and then, you, you know, you look at the person, and what was the intent behind what the person was trying to say versus what was said, you know? And, and what was the energy behind it? The majority of the time you're coming from a good place. It's not necessarily meant to just hurt the person's feelings, um, encourage them or wake them up to something. And I think that's one of the things that you, um, you excel at is bringing attention to certain things that um, I think you're someone who likes operational efficiency. Most of the times when we speak, we talk about inefficiencies that are people are not doing or doing, you know, are things that could be done better or approached better. Um, immigrant mentality, bro. Immigrant mentality. Yeah. When, you, when you're an immigrant, you know, you broke up, you, you grow up kind of broke and then mm-hmm. you, don't, you, you don't come here to just chill, right? Like our families came here to America, like you came here to America so you could build something. Like, you know, my dad came here from Egypt like 30 years ago or something, not so we could mm-hmm. chill out and sleep. So like, I think it's, uh, it's one thing that kind of sets immigrants apart from people that are from here is that there's, there's always kind of like that, that goal of a better future. And so now, you know, I'm kind of starting to expand my perspective on what I want out of life. And it's not just necessarily like the traditional approach on like the American dream. We could, we could touch on that later on a little bit, mm-hmm. but you know, like definitely like growing up, I always wanted things to be done a certain way. I always wanted things to be the ideal because I had a vision in my mind of a future that I wanted for myself. And like we, when we went to engineering school, right. I think that's how that, that's kind of where we started bonding. Like it was, it was a total mess. Wasn't it? Like that was where like the, the, the focusing and like the losing our minds over the inefficiency started. Yes. Uh, and, and from there, dude, like we would, we would just pick apart or I would pick apart everything and you yeah. would kind of just try to cool me down. But a hundred percent, bro, a hundred percent. Yeah. You know what? I, I know that there's a lot of problems to solve, but I try my best to figure out which ones are the highest priority at the moment for me to solve that I can solve. And then I, I compound those on the ones that I've solved previously. Right. So for instance, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm writing a script or I'm building a company, but I had an opportunity to plan a wedding. I know how tedious it can be to plan a wedding and how stressful it can be. So I said, okay, I have this knowledge and resource that, you know, I use from being a planner in construction. Let's marry the two. It's a short, tight project in a sense that I can finish in the space of two to three months. 
Uh, there's a value that's already been and time that's already been put into executing this problem. Let's put it in a book and let's place it out there for someone else to gain value from it. Because ultimately, when you're planning a wedding, you know, you always go around to other persons and ask them their, you know, experience in planning. So I said, all right, well, let's just put so, it in a book. I have a publication company. Let's just, just publish it and get it done. So. So yeah. I noticed that you kind of started dreaming up the idea for this podcast and putting it together mm-hmm. after your wedding. Was yeah. was the wedding kind of why you wanted to start doing this? Yes and no. I think I always initially wanted to do a podcast. I just never got spurged to do it. My spurge to do it was a friend of mine inviting me on their podcast. And then, you know, in time opportunities come into your life that basically is a catalyst. I was like, well, if I'm going to get invited on one, I'm going to do one for myself, you know? And that's kind of, it already was in the back um, back of my mind to do, but it was the other thing at the time. And I was like, you know what? I, I can't find the time to do it. And I always think of this concept called Ikigai, which is what you're good at, what do you love doing, what does the world need and what would people pay you for, right? And that cross-section of that Venn diagram is Ikigai, right? And basically, I was like, well, the podcast is something that I would enjoy doing. I know the world needs it. We want to hear people's lived experience. That's why we go to the movies. That's why we read books. It kind of helps you go through the process and feel what that person felt while they were doing what they were doing and you learn a lesson from it. And I think ultimately, you know, especially with the way our societies know, people don't necessarily want to sit down and read a book all the time. You know, like they would like to use the medium of the person. Not not only do people not want to, not only do people not want to read, bro, Mm -hmm. I think people suck at executing. I think, I think, um, I don't know what it is. I don't know why it is, but it's like, we're really good at dreaming and we're mm-hmm. really good at talking. We're really good at marketing. We're really good mm-hmm. at kind of like being pie in the sky mm-hmm. and, and, and all that. But like when it comes down to like drilling down and making things happen, I, I thought it was like a basic thing. Right. And, and don't get me wrong. Right. I'm not saying like yeah. I'm a pro at executing. I've had to work on it a lot in the last couple mm-hmm. of years, but it, it, it kind of blew my mind. Like, you grow up and you kind of look at the world around you and you're like, okay, yeah, like people did all this. They, 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 they put it all together. And then mm-hmm. you enter college and you realize like how incompetent most people are. And then you enter <laughs> the workforce. And I, I have this, I have this idea, dude, that like, I think 60% of the workforce is just bloat. You know what I mean? And it's, it's too complicated to, mm-hmm. to, to just to tell everyone to go home and sit down. Cause then we'd have a 60% unemployment rate. I, like, I'm personally of the belief that most people at work do nothing but mm-hmm. companies like to have people on the payroll. The government kind of just finds it as an easier way of doing a universal basic income. But, mm-hmm. oh, my God, by and large, people can't get anything done. And it, and it horrifies them. Like a wedding is a, is a perfect little like microcosm of a, yeah. of a project. And yep. I, think, I think that's why it freaks people out so badly. It's because now suddenly they have a clear-cut goal with a timeline and a budget. And they yep. got to make it happen. And it's like, whoo. <laughs> well, you know, that's why I love the construction side of the business, because regardless of what happened, 
you have to get it done. There is no handing it off to nobody. There's nobody else down the stream to hand it off to. It's not a drawing that's half complete. It's something that needs to be done and there's money at stake and there's safety at stake and it needs to get done, right? Finished. And And I think being in that industry, you're on the execution end of someone's dream. Right. Exactly. 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 And that's why, that's why people in construction, they, they wind up getting paid a little bit more, mm-hmm. but it's, it's super stressful. Like if, if you kind of like take the name of your podcast, dream, plan, execute, like right. the dream is when like the owner of the project is like, Oh, I want to build a building. And right. Kind of just have all these ideas. And then the planning is when they go to the architects engineer and the engineers, yep. they put their schedules, their drawings together. And then the execution is when they hand it to the contractors, you <laughs> yep. know, Yep, and then it's 100%. like, okay, make this happen. But, uh, you know, my first job out of college, mm-hmm. my first full-time job, I was working on the construction team. And mm-hmm. that was kind of one of the, the the points in time when I realized that it sucks because, you, like you said, you're downstream in the process from everyone else. So, like, right. the, the dreamer has, like, a pie-in-the-sky vision of what they want to see. And then I, I like to point the finger at the planners in the middle. I think... Mm-hmm. Like, let's say you're doing construction, right? Yeah. And you want to build a wall. And like the guy dreaming up the wall is like, oh, it's going to be so tall or whatever, you know? And then the engineer is like, well, look, we know we can't make it like a hundred feet tall because like it'll mm-hmm. fall down. So like, right. we'll, we'll make it 50 feet tall. But then the, the, the planner, they design all these things that have to go on the wall, you know? Like maybe you have like a bunch of boxes on the wall and you have outlets on the wall. But a lot of times it kind of requires extra energy from the planner mm-hmm. to kind of figure out how that's all going to happen. And a lot of times what the planners do is they don't think about it too much. They kind of just say, oh, figure it out in the field. Yep. And so what, what winds up happening when you're on the execution end of things, all the little things that everyone should have done before you that don't get done, they, they fall on you. And now yep. you're the person accountable for them. So it's like a double-edged sword because you get paid more, right? But you're mm-hmm. under way more pressure and you're under way yep. more, you're under way more stress. So it's, you definitely it's like a, under more stress. You definitely under more pressure. You definitely have a hard line that most people don't have. Like the, the, if you let the architect waste your time, um, not giving you back RFI response in a timely manner, you're only hurting yourself at the end when mm-hmm. you need to get stuff done. Now you're putting your contractors under pressure. You're putting the liability of a safety happening, safety incident happening too, because now you're pressing the action for someone to do something where it would have taken two weeks and now four days, you know? So the person who did the planning, he's giving you his R5 response four, five, six, seven days late. It's all his hands at this point. And you know where I think... This, this um, cross-section happens when we divorced the planner from the executor. And part of your uh, requirement was to stand inside the building. If it falls down on you and you die, well, that's on you, right? So yep. the pain has left the planning experience in the sense of back in the day, we still use AIA forms for construction because it was you know the architect who was also doing the construction management piece of the, the project too. Now, when you're just putting it on paper, part of it, you just, you don't have the pain of having to deal with actually executing 
the nuts and bolts of it and getting into the weeds. And years and years of doing that compounds over time. Consequently, you have this divorce, right? Where, the, you know, this, the guys in the field, you know, have not, I wouldn't say a resentment, but just like they know the drawings are not going to be a hundred percent complete and you're going to have to do the designer's job also and also do your the job which adds additional stress to you yeah so. i think i i would i would go far to say that the person who's last in line who has to execute mm-hmm. is usually resentful mm-hmm. of the people before them yep. in, in the line and i think they have good reason to be you know i think I think, like you said, they wind up having to do the person's job before them and they wind up Mm -hmm. having to also do their job. I think Mm -hmm. generally they know more than the planners because they've had to do it so many times. I think there's this weird kind of, I don't know what the word is, maybe like uh, a bias against the people who kind of have to like get down to business, like, you Mm -hmm. know, like like they they have to execute and they get their hands dirty. I feel like they're kind of looked down on. And I feel like it's kind of like uh, uh, it's 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 maybe like a bias that exists in our society or something. Maybe it's like a, a bougie kind of way of thinking, where mm. it's like I think people have like their like idea that they're like educated or they're like engineers or or like whatever right. whatever kind of like field or career they work in, right? Like you're always going to have like the hierarchy, right? And yes. usually the people who are on the bottom of the hierarchy are the ones who kind of have to get things done. Like I remember during COVID. Mm-hmm. I'm not, I'm not disparaging business owners, right? Like my goal right. is to be, a, look, I'm a business owner right now. Right. Right. But I, well, I, I do have a deep resentment for the kind of business owner that wants to own the business and that doesn't want to get their hands dirty. So mm. like, like during COVID, right. We were clapping for all the people who were working in the supermarkets. Right. And it's like, right. what is that? Like, that makes no sense to me. At the end of the day, the person who executes the, the, the operation of a supermarket is those minimum wage workers who are working in the supermarket, right? And so it's almost like the owner of the shop feels like it's beneath them to kind of have to be out there early in the morning or late at night, maybe stocking shelves, maybe mopping the floor, being at the stopgap wherever it's needed. Yeah. Like I, I've seen, I've seen like shop owners, like their, their stores would close because mm-hmm. they were like, oh, I don't have anyone to come in and work today. And it's like, you own the store. Like mm-hmm. get out there and do it, you know? And I, and I think that there's like this, like in the dream plan and mm-hmm. execute like trifecta, everybody wants yeah. to dream, you yep. know, so, some people are willing to plan, but very little people are willing to execute. And I, I, I read this article mm-hmm. written by Paul Graham. He was one of the founders of Y Combinator. And he talks about how at the turn of the 20th century or like, you know, like when, when Henry Ford was starting to, to build the Ford Motor Company, a lot of businessmen, they looked at him as like a dirty mechanic. And mm. that was the, the term that they used because he was willing to kind of get in there and, and put the parts together himself, get greased up, get under the hood. And it was like, there was like this derision directed towards Henry Ford. And they had the same thing for Carnegie as well, because you know, and when I read this, I felt like it's they were looking at him like as a business owner, you shouldn't be doing that, you know, because if you start doing that, it's going to be expected of us to do that. And we want to kind of maintain this, this appearance that like, we don't have to do that. You know, we just plan and then we get the grunts to do the execution. And I think maybe there was a point in history where, where that was how it was done. But I think 
you know, to kind of take like a, a revolutionary approach to what you're mm-hmm. trying to do here with your podcast, I think execution shouldn't be beneath anybody. And I think mm-hmm. to kind of tie fact. it back a hundred percent, bro. And I, and I think to tie it back to the point that you were kind of alluding to in the beginning of what it takes to start your own business, bro, running your own business, starting your own business doesn't mean that you, you file a form and you have an LLC or, or a C corp or whatever it is. You build your website and you run around talking to clients. Like it also means like it, it, it also means like you have to sit there and you have to send out the emails. You have to make the edits on the website. Like I, I, I've, I've, um, I, I really love Ayn Rand's books because one of the ideas that she has in her books is that like the, the, the people who run the companies in her stories, they know mm-hmm. how to do every function in the company or they, at the very least, they understand what's going on at every function in the company. And that's something that I find to be so important. And it's one of the biggest failures that I find in a lot of the companies that I worked in. And it's one of the failures that I'm trying to avoid in building my company. Like building a company is all about executing. Like you absolutely like, 100%. Putting, a, putting a plan is that's, that's nice, bro. Like Eisenhower, maybe it wasn't Eisenhower, someone in the U S military, they, they once said, you know, Planning, the plan is not important, but planning is important. But like once the, once the rubber hits the road, you know, once, once you're in battle, once like you're in business, like the plan kind of goes out the window. You use the plan as like a reference point to kind of look back on. But I'm, I'm a firm believer of like you, you got to be out there and you got to feel things like you got to, you got to feel the pulse of your business and you kind of have to know how like all the different departments in your business are running and you have to understand what the people in your business are doing. Cause especially when you're a small business, like if somebody leaves your business or if someone dies or if someone calls out sick and you still need to get something over to the client as the business owner, that should be your job. A hundred percent. That's why. And I, so there's a, there's, there's a lot of things you just said that I want to touch. So many things. So let me just start with one. I love the fact that you said there's a resentment for people who work in the field and they naturally have hands-on experience that the nuance in detail that someone running conduit and putting together conduit and pulling cable has most PEs do not have that experience. I, I kid you not. I have people in the field, electricians who could do a PE's job. A hundred percent. I promise 100%. you a PE cannot do their job. Do not know the size of the fittings. Do not know how to put the fittings together. Do not know how to use a pipe so you can put a little bit up so you can pull the cable through. They have to. And guess what? There's a pain in not executing right in construction. There's yeah, no bro, undo button. Yeah. It's money, it's cost, and it's an emotional pain when you get something wrong, right? Something as simple as um, the dimension on a pad, a pad layout for an equipment. You get that wrong and the pad is too small and you epoxy the floor and now you have to chop out a piece of the pad or extend the pad. There's a cost associated with that. And there's a mental pain associated with getting it wrong because now you're seeing the labor behind it, the cost, the demoralizing of your, your trade, feeling bad about not doing a good job. You know, so there's just... I have electricians who are probably half the age of many PEs, new PEs. And they, the nuance that they have in the understanding, half of our RFIs come from our trades. More than half of our RFIs. They're just looking at the drawings. They've seen so the, many builds that the they're like, no, this is wrong. Who are, 
sorry to cut you off for the listeners no, who are listening who may not know uh, construction mm-hmm. terminology and RFI is a request for information. So basically on a construction, on a construction project, if you're one of your trades, one of your contractors, like the people who are out in the field there, if they're working and they have a question, they send an RFI, a request for information back to the designer. And, and sometimes there are RFIs between designers. So like if the yeah. guy who designed the electrical system has a question for like the plumber, because they don't know if like there's going to be a wire in the way of the pipe, they'll send a request for information. So just, just wanted to chime in with that. No, no, that's good. No, that's uh, perfect because you know, you say these terms, especially when you have a construction person on the the podcast and you know, you'll get lost with the fact that, you know, people really don't know what an RFA is. So you're right. um, But that, that knowing that, knowing that is very important because what happens is, um, you know that I have this RFA and I'm reading it with the trade. They just, in a more detailed fashion because they had to execute. The next thing that you brought up that I really like is not being, not feeling that you're above certain tasks, right? Yeah. My trades see me digging and shoveling snow out the way for them to come into to the workplace. If I can't get it done, if a labor is not there, I'm getting the shovel, I'm digging, I'm salting. And that's important so- for for persons to see because there's not this delineation that, oh, I'm above you and you are above me. We're in the trenches together. And so here's the thing. Period, you know? So so here's, here's, here's the thing. I think it's a legacy issue that mm-hmm. is not appropriate anymore. You right. know, I worked... I worked at one of the big construction companies in New York City. I interned there back when we were in college. Right. And one of the rules that we had at this company was that you had to wear a tie when you went to work. Right. Right. And and I didn't understand it at first. But when I looked back on it, I realized like, oh, this company has been around for 100 years, over 100 years. And the reason they want you to wear a tie when you're on the construction site is because they want to they want to they want to distinguish you from the laborers right. right look i'm not one of these socialist anti-capitalist types okay right. but like like we said right i'm going to call a spade a spade when i see it mm-hmm. the current system that we have here in the united states is being tested right now we're seeing inflation like we haven't seen before the internet right has rendered the value of a college education, not worthless, but it's, it's greatly reduced it. And right. now you have chat GPT coming out mm-hmm. and a lot of people are wondering if they're going to have jobs in 10 years. Right? Yeah. So maybe a hundred years ago, the engineer who went to college, there was a marked difference between him and one of the laborers because right. they understood the theory. And maybe at a certain point, a hundred years ago, when these construction companies were started, the way society was organized was way more Mm -hmm. hierarchical, right? And you needed there to be a clear division between the engineers and the laborers. But today that difference has been blurred so much in our industry, right? It's always like behind. So Mm -hmm. maybe like Google and Amazon are starting to hire people who don't have credentials, who haven't gone to college. They just get certifications. I don't think that's going to happen in our industry for a while. I'd like yeah. to see it happen sooner, right? Hence, I'm making this point that I'm making right now. Right. I, I think the way things are set up in construction companies right now, where there's like this feeling that things are beneath the professional, uh, the, 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 the professional workers, it's kind of 
um, it's like the appendix, right? It's a leftover remnant of an older time when that hierarchy was in place and there was very clear differences between the classes in society. Mm. And I think I'm not saying this because I'm like, like I said, like, Oh, I'm a bleeding heart liberal. And it's not right that you're treating the unskilled worker, not like the engineer. I think it's starting to get to a point where it's being counterproductive. And I think if we're living, if we're living in a capitalist society and we're making the point like, Oh, we're here to make money. It's like, okay, if, if you're here and you want to make money, how can we make things more efficient? And that's always one of the things that pissed me off so much about the companies that I've worked at is because they like to say like, oh, like I started working when I was 15 years old, dude. Right. And so for, for a long time, the thing people used to, it's like, you're young, you don't get it. You know, like, oh, you're so ideal. You're so pie in the sky. But it's like 15 years later and I'm still pissed off because things are not being <laughs> done in, a, in an efficient manner. So like- right. And I'm not pissed off about the same things. So, so clearly I've changed a little bit, but a lot of things haven't changed. Right. And like, yeah, no, we, live in a, we live in a weird time, right? Like yeah. we're, we're seeing technology progress and innovation in so many industries. And then in our yeah. industry, we're operating in this super stupid old fashioned way. And I feel like it's hurting the construction industry. And I, and I feel like as, as much as it sucks to kind of see the construction industry behind and this, uh, this barrier to execution, I think it kind of, it opens, it's an opportunity for improvement, right? Like, I know you're a fan of real estate, right? Like, yeah. if you see a building that's run down, you could look at it as a rundown building, but at the same time, a rundown building is a fixer-upper, right? Like, there's an opportunity yeah. there. So, like, yeah, our, our industry is behind, but, like, can you point at any other industries that there's, like, so much... You have like, asymmetric un- unreal. Bro, there's a, there's an unrealized potential Absolutely. in construction. There's, there's a there's, revolution waiting to happen. There's there's a ton of things you just said. One, there's asymmetric risk in construction in the sense that there's so much opportunity for efficiency to be built into the the actual industry. It's ridiculous, mm-hmm. right? And the next thing is it's important that we um we recognize that these delineations don't work anymore. It don't work. It really does not work. And chat GPT brought to my attention. I said, and I wrote it on my Twitter. I said, AI is going to do to white collar jobs what automation did to blue collar jobs. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of, there's, there's a lot of fat that was in factories that got reduced because of automation. And there's a lot of fat on the white collar side, that's when they get reduced significantly Good. with AI. And Good. If, if you know about Pareto, you know Pareto distribution, right? Pareto 100%, 20% of the people do 80% of the work, baby. Always, all, uh, majority of the time. It goes for high achievers, it goes for tallest people, it goes for, this is just one of those distribution where the student and executing is naturally occurring. Naturally yeah, yeah, yeah. occurring. Mm-hmm. AI is going to really streamline that side of the business. And because of that, persons are going to have to upskill or get left behind. This is the reality of it. Um, and so so that's, that's, where, that's where I think AI is really going to be going. But I want to, I want to circle back to, you now we've given this broad aspect of, you know, what's going on in our society. I love the name of your company. 
Uh, when you sent that to me, and even the 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 logo, like yes, and the name of your company is Ordering Force. The order. Tell us about what your intentions with Ordering Forces. Oh man, I appreciate you bringing that up. So the the Ordering Force is my new construction management, project management, and pretty soon engineering services company, and. Like I said, man, I've been working in the industry for close to a decade now. I see that there's a lot of chaos. And two years ago, I uh, I was working on the airport projects, right? Mm-hmm. And my job was to run reports and put together a dashboard for... Um, it was like $20 million worth of budget that I had to run dashboards. Basically, I was tracking like the number of people working on the project. I was, I was organizing their invoices. I would take everyone's hours in and then the project manager could come to me and they could be like, hey, how much was spent for a certain job on this project? How much hours did Ramon spend uh, the week ending the 15th of August? How many hours until we run out of budget on the job? What's our multiplier? How do our, uh, our, our, our bar charts look? How do the charge codes look? How many RFIs have we received? You know? And so a couple of years ago, and, and I'm kind of telling the story disjointed, but it's, it's all going to make sense. I got my first project management job and all of these indicators that I just listed, I was supposed to be watching for all of these on my projects. And I didn't, I didn't understand how to do any of this. Like they told me that I had to track AR on a project and I thought AR was audio recording. (laughs) I swear to God, I'm not even, I'm not even lying to you. So for those, for those of you listening, AR means accounts receivable. So like if you do like work on a project for a client and then you send them an invoice and you're waiting for the money, that money is accounts receivable. So like it's, it's an important uh, metric to know because it, it, it lets you know how much cash on hand you have or how much cash mm-hmm. on hand you don't have. So yeah. w- when I was working as a project manager, this was back when I was at STV, I was, I was tracking all of these metrics on these jobs and the way they were doing it was like, Ramon, it was, it was, it was disrespectful <laughs> to the client. It was disrespectful to the client. It was disrespectful to them. It was disrespectful to me because they had this system where it would like spit out a raw Excel sheet of just a gazillion numbers. And then they would go in there and they would like equals total. And they would like sell a two comma B two beef. And it's like, bro, if the printout is the same every time, why don't you just write a program to take that Excel sheet and run a program and give you a dashboard. And this was like mind blowing to them, you know? And, and this right. is how, this, this is how behind the construction industry is. So what I did is I, I put together a program and I automated the reporting on this project. And that it turns out is something that isn't really like, I know that they have these construction softwares like eBuilder and Procore and all that, but there's always going to be some kind of reporting that's required on these projects. So for two years, I was running reporting like that for the airport projects at uh, JFK LaGuardia in Newark. And what I realized was when I started kind of writing these computer programs, I standardized the reports that were going out to the project manager, right? Yeah. You, alrighty. Mm-hmm. So I standardized, I standardized the reports and then we set dates every week where the certain reports would come out. So like on Wednesday, I would do the LaGuardia report. On Thursday, I would do the, 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 the Newark report. And then on Friday, I would do the JFK report, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I stuck to that schedule like you would not believe. I never broke that schedule. And what wound up happening was once I became that fixed point 
in the ecosystem of the project, I started becoming the datum. I kind of started becoming the reference point for other things on the project. So it was like, oh, because the report is coming out on Friday, we need to collect the information by Thursday. And because we need to collect the information by Thursday, we need to reach out to the clients by Monday. And since we're reaching out to the clients on Monday, we should have the meeting on Monday. And since we're having the meeting on Monday, we should put out the meeting minutes on Tuesday. And since we're putting out the meeting minutes on Tuesday, we should have our executive meeting on Wednesday. And suddenly, by kind of nailing down one corner of the project, I saw how inadvertently I was kind of starting to become an ordering force yep. on the project. Yep. And that's that what project management is. So it's what project management should be. Dude, you know, it's, you are the ordering force. You are the person setting the dates and the schedule. You are, you know, this, you, 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 that's what, the, that's what your two week look ahead should be. That's what your daily look ahead or daily meeting should be, you know? So I, I agree with you, but here's, here's the thing that kind of blew my mind, Ramon. Mm-hmm. I always thought that to get things done, you kind of needed to be in a position of power higher up and you, you mm-hmm. definitely need some sort of power. Like I was right. able to do what I was doing because I had the support of my project manager, this guy over at HDR named Dan Gould. He saw what I was doing. He immediately saw the value in it. God bless him. He wasn't threatened by what I was doing because that's, that's a whole other devil that exists in the industry is you have these, 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 these idiots for lack of a better term who are threatened by the first sign of competency. And so they, they want to, they want to flatten out the whole thing and make sure everyone's stupid. But Dan was, Dan was fantastic. I love yeah. Dan. I, I still talk to Dan all the time. You know, he's, he's been a great help. He set me up with my first potential client at the ordering force, but I had Dan's buy-in. But the thing that blew my mind is that you can affect some serious change wherever mm-hmm. you are, wherever you are, yep. if you're super consistent. Cause you ever seen like uh, one of those like videos where there's like, a water bottle that's really cold and then they just tap it and the whole thing crystallizes. Yep. Crystals form on crystals. Yep. You understand? So yep. it, and that's how, and that's how things are in any system, right? Like mm-hmm. I was telling, I was telling this guy I train with, he's thinking about starting a gym, right? Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, you need to start then because you need a structure for things to grab onto like the right. human body you have your skeleton and on the skeleton is your flesh and on the flesh is the other is like the, 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 the systems that are in your body, like the circulatory system, the nerve right. system, like everything is attached to something, but you need to have like that first structure for everything to build off of. And the example that I gave him was like in New York city, they had these old subway cars and they would throw them in the ocean yeah. and the, the, the marine habitats in the ocean would start grabbing on to these old subway cars and they would form reefs. You mm. get what I mean? Yeah. So if you become consistent, you kind of become like that fixed structure and then other things start building on you. So you become like the ordering force. Like it's like, you ever seen like those watermelons in Japan that are square? Yeah. Cause they put like a square box around them. Yeah. Like once you, once you become a fixed point, everyone starts measuring off of that fixed point. And then everything gets organized off of that fixed point. Well, it comes down to discipline. I think if you are disciplined and consistent, uh, people gravitate to it because, like you said, people have a hard time executing and they'll have a plan in their head 
or a dream in the head, but bringing it from that space to an actual product or an end result requires discipline and consistency. And when you see someone have it in their spirit to do so and be so, you're like a light to um, well, you to a moth, you, you um, person, because people want to see how is it that you're executing what you're executing and doing what you're doing. And and it comes down to the discipline. It comes down to your ability to just get the job done. If you're on a job site, that's the first thing any trade is going to say is, all right, whatever is going on, we have to get this done. You know, you have to Mm -hmm. set that frame of point. Like I'm going to get this done. There has to be a frame. There has to be a frame of reference. And so like, I, you know, I, I really enjoyed that experience, what I was Mm -hmm. doing. And so construction or projects, I think any kind of project is yep. super chaotic. I think, I think people, I think there are some universal things that kind of span time, culture, religion, ethnicity, gender, whatever you want to call it. There are some things that are universal, right? And I think the resentment or hatred for chaos is one of those things. I think mm. sometimes we can, we can kind of enjoy chaos in short bursts, but I think people love order. Right. And especially, especially if you're on a job, on a project where there's a defined right. goal and there's a budget and there's a schedule, then you need order. And so there is, there's, I, I love Jordan Peterson, you know, right. and he, he says, he, uh, he, he says that he has this exercise that he does with his clients where he's like, let's play a game. And they're like, okay. And he's like, all right, we're playing. And he's like, it makes people really uncomfortable because they're like, what are the rules to the game? Right. So, in, a, in any chaotic system you have, like you said, like discipline is the starting point. Like if right. you don't have discipline, you're going to be in trouble. So if you have the discipline to be consistent, people are definitely going to look at you as that point of like that, that steady point in a sea mm-hmm. of unsteadiness. So then people are going to gravitate to that. And then the second thing that goes from there is you have to pay attention. And that's something else that I wound up learning from Jordan yep. Peterson because you know, working in construction, working in engineering, there's a, there's a, there's a, there's so much that I don't know. There's so much that a lot of us don't know. Right. But what you do know is there's some things over there that I don't know. And what you do know is that you're paying attention to certain things and there's other things that you're not paying attention to. You may not know what that right. thing is over there, but you know for sure where your attention is being allocated. Right. So there's this, there's this idea you know, that exists in a lot of traditions that attention is the ordering force, you know, whatever the light shines upon is ordered. And so that's kind of really what I want to do with my company. You know, I'm I'm a young guy. I'm I'm not even 30 yet. I'm turning 30 this year, but I, I firmly believe that as we win projects and we pay attention to things, we ask the right questions and we're consistent and we're disciplined we can come into projects and we can kind of order them. We can figure out how to do things efficiently. And, you know, we can, we can, we can not only affect the difference on the projects that we're in, but hopefully we can start affecting change in the industry at large. Because they're not, they're not going to start changing. The industry is not going to change no, until you have they to change. Yep. Well, look, look at, look at what Elon Musk did to the tech industry, right? People were sitting around doing nothing. Right. And then he came into Twitter and he was like, we could run the company at like, I don't know. Let's say, let's say he, he fired like half of the company. He had an insight that they could run the company at half of whatever 
the number of staff they were running at. And immediately, once he did that, Google, Facebook, Meta, uh, Amazon, all these companies were like, well, we could do that too. And, and we can kind of tighten up the money as inflation hits and the economy kind of gets bumpy. And so all it takes is one guy to do it, prove that it works, and then yep. everyone is going to start paying attention. And so, you know, when, when, I, when I got to college and when I graduated, I had this idea that I'm so smart, I'm going to come in, I'm, I'm going to kind of like show people how smart I am and they're going to see the light. And no, people are not interested in hearing how smart you are. People are not interested in you changing the way things have been. You know, shut up, get out of here. And so, well, so I love that you said that. I don't, I don't mean to call you, but I have to just put that point in there is that it's important that when, when a vision comes to you, you have an intuition on something. I was just telling one of my friends, this is like, when you have an idea of something, don't wait for anybody else to assist you in the idea. You move. Everyone yeah. else will assist. The moment you start moving, you don't need to know all the details. You need to know the intuition that you have, and it's a it's a it's a feeling that you want to get it done, and you just you know it needs to get done because you're seeing it. You have the vision, so mm-hmm. now it's time for you to go and just get it done. All right. And when you start moving there, people are going to start filling in and assisting you. Now. Any good yes, superintendent will tell you that. I've seen supers push jobs. I'm like, how are you going to do this without this being done? And they're like, don't worry about it. We're going to get it done. And then the trades follow behind that. The trades, okay, well, if, if this is what we're doing, this is how we have to get it done. Everyone fills in and then you get you meet the date, you know what I mean? Yeah, but yeah, you yeah, have yeah. to just delineate and drive, you know? Now I want to build off of that. I want to yeah. build off of that. Here's the thing with execution. As, as you go from dreaming and mm-hmm. planning and executing, it's kind of like a scale. It's a spectrum. Right. Yeah. And on the on the dreaming end, your risk, your skin in the game is pretty low. On the right. execution side of the scale, your risk, your skin in the game is very high. Mm-hmm. So the people who execute, they have more skin in the game. And remember how I was talking a few minutes ago about how there are some ideas that are universal that we all mm-hmm. seem to understand across time, culture, religion, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. One of those universal ideas is skin in the game. It's such a universal idea, Ramon, that I think if animals could speak, they would understand the concept of skin in the game. You mm-hmm. talked about the you talked about the builders. Hammurabi of Hammurabi's code mm-hmm. had a rule in his code that said if a builder builds a house and the child of the person who bought the house dies because the house falls over, then the builder's son must be put to death. Skin in the game. Skin in the game, baby. So the, 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 the more you're executing, the more risk you're taking. And this is one of the big reasons that people struggle to execute is because planning, dreaming, it's all talk. Right. Talk, my friend, is cheap. <laughs> That's a Execution fact. literally costs money. So once you start talking about executing, now you got to reach into your pocket and pull out some money. Now you got to call up people and bring them out to the job site. Now you got to start installing things on the wall. And if it comes out wrong, you're at risk. You're going to be yep. held accountable. Your ass is on the line. And so people struggle with taking that risk, right? But yeah, and it's not only just is, it's not just construction too in the sense of it uh, and money. It's also it's a sacrifice of time. 
and effort Absolutely. and focus Absolutely. because it's, Bro, you have to get everything. rid of the other thing else to be able to execute. No, right? But but here's here's the thing that people I don't I don't want to say I don't want to say people are cowards, mm-hmm. right? Because I actually feel very bad that people are struggling with execution because I think I think the system around us hasn't been set up to teach people to be risk takers and to right. execute. I, I actually think that our education system is geared towards making people who are obedient. And I think it's the people that have historically had the ability to take risk that are encouraged to take risks. And then people like you and I, immigrants, people in the lower classes of society, it's very difficult for us to kind of get to that point to take risk. But right. we, we, can, we can circle back, we can get to that point. But right. anybody could take a risk. And if you take a risk, then you are also entitled to the reward. Now, sidebar to you, if you're mm-hmm. at a job and you're expected to take the risks and you're the one putting your time, you're the one putting your energy, but then the reward is not shared with you, you should ask yourself what's wrong. And right. that's one of the reasons why I decided to start my own company, to start my own business. I'm willing to assume all of the risk. I don't want anyone to pay me a salary, but that means that when things go well, and the company is successful, then I am entitled to the proceeds, right? Well, that's but, fair. That's a hundred percent fair. Your example of about paying a, paying attention and focusing, and some simple things too. Like for instance, I give you an example. What happened on one of my job sets? We're putting in some cable tray. The cable tray gets built on unistrut that's tied to a structural ceiling. We have okay. what you call a hot aisle containment that contains all the heat that comes out of the cabinets, pushes it up into the, the ceiling, carries it back to the air handling unit, which pushes the cold air underneath the floor. The dimensions on that rail system, or you call the unistrut, on the shop drain was an inch into the hot aisle containment. Right, meaning that if we carry the hot aisle containment out and build it, the unistrut itself would be protruding into it. We'd have to cut those pieces in the field. This is not just one unistrut. You're talking about 50, 60 unistruts. And I'm walking the site. I look at the electrician's trailer. I was like, you know what? I had an intuition. Let me go over there and see what's going on. I'm going, I'm going to the trailer. He's looking at the shop drawing. He's like, hey, do you pay attention to um, the dimensions of this? No. Young persons, this is one thing you have to remember. You don't know everything, right? Mm-hmm. I could be in my bravado, but like, yeah, I, I, I definitely paid attention to it. I know I didn't. I was like, yo, I honestly, I know we have an approved shop, shop drawing, but I didn't really pay attention to that de- level of detail. But know that you are bringing it to my attention. Let's take a look at it together. I didn't tell him to just go figure it out on his own, right? I'm going back to my trailer. We sat there, we look at the drawing, we look at his unistrut, we look at the hot aisle containment, and we recognize if he brought his unistrut out, all 60 pieces of it, all pieces that um, are double-ended, he would have to sit there with his guys the whole day cutting unistrut in the field. When you Mm -hmm. cut in unistrut, it's going to spark. Anything can happen from a spark, you know what I mean? So just catching that problem early resolve so many pains later on. That's an ordering force because someone was 100%. paying attention someone to the attention. details exactly. and exactly. cared but about how it was going to affect his team and the rest of the exactly. team. Well, well, notice, right? He was the one who was expected to execute. He right. was the one who had skin in the game. So he right. paid attention, right? Right. 
So that's that's how it go. That's how it goes. But so I want to I want to bring it back to something you have that I I think the 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 audience need to know about, right? So yes, you sir. have not only you have artists versus a company, but you also have a um a blog that I I I love the articles you put out. I mean, I, I sit down and I read them and I smile. Tell us about Khalid Goose. What is Khalid Goose? Oh man, that's my nickname. That's that's a nickname that I've had since I was eight years old, and now that's my website, KhalidGoose.com. Mm. So, you know, one of one of the one of the things that I kind of clocked back when we were at college is that it, it feels like when you do something, everyone around you labels you by that thing. So you and I said we were civil engineering majors, so it was like you're a civil engineer, do civil engineering stuff. So I remember one of the years we were at Poly. Uh, I wanted to take a computer science course that was not in our our curriculum as an elective. And a lot of our professors were like, why the hell are you doing that? You're a civil engineer. Why would you take C++? And it was like, <laughs> what's wrong with you people? Uh, so like... <laughs> it's crazy. So like, Just hearing that no sounds so crazy, you know? Yeah. So I, I, I am an engineer by day. But I like to do things outside of engineering. And one of the things that I like to do that your listeners may have picked up on is just kind of bat ideas back and right. forth. And so I love reading. I love watching podcasts. And at a certain point, I kind of realized that I had all these ideas that I was kind of ranting about on my social mm -hmm. media accounts. And I realized at one point I was like, well, look, dude, like maybe other people have some of these ideas that I have. Mm -hmm. It would be worth it to kind of get them written down somewhere. And like, like I said before, right? Like the ordering force is the thing that you pay attention to. Mm. So I think there are certain topics in our culture. There are certain topics in, 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 in our Western liberal democracy that don't really get much attention. Mm. And I think people can kind of feel the chaos and they don't know what's going on. And so I've taken great pleasure, dude, in just kind of falling down rabbit holes and reading up on topics, thinking about things, kind of just fleshing them out, asking certain questions. And it's, it's led me to some really interesting, like, conclusions. So like, here, let me, I'm just taking a look at, a, I'm taking a look at some of the articles that I've written. So like, do you remember back when we were at college, dude, how much I was an yeah. Apple fanboy? Yeah. So, you know. In the last couple of years, I've kind of started to clue into the fact that maybe Apple hasn't quite been a force for good as much as I thought it was. Mm. And I think that's an idea that people are kind of starting to pick up on. People are starting to realize that phone addiction is a problem. People are starting to realize that, you know, social media is having an adverse effect on younger people. Like they realize that like around the time mobile apps came out, for social media apps, there was a huge uptick in depression rates. Mm. And so I'm thinking about this. I'm starting to put like locks on my phone so I can cut down on the amount of social media I have. And I realized like, isn't it kind of weird, Ramon, that Steve Jobs, a person who historically was known for being so maniacally focused, winds up creating something that took away people's focus? Yeah, not in, you know, the unintended consequences to, you know, the but thing he built, yeah. 
it's interesting, you know? So like that was, that was something that I wanted to write on. That was kind of something that I wanted to address. That's my favorite article. I appreciate that. I I know it it took a lot out of you to write it because I know you're a big Steve Jobs fan. You still are, but I don't think, and an Apple as a product and a company, you are the biggest fan. And to, you know, to have to sit with yourself and go, hold up for a moment. As much as I have a, a respect for what they've done and their ability to execute, because that's one thing Apple's going to do. They execute at mm-hmm. the highest level, whatever they intend to do, right? And we th- that produces value. And that's why Apple is Apple. But to go back and go, hmm, well, yeah, this was great, but look at the unintended consequences of the, the, the product that you've put, on, put into the world because no persons are losing their focus and their ability to pay attention to details. Exactly. Exactly. You know? And so yeah. like the, the, the impetus behind mm-hmm. a lot of my ideas has become whatever weakens my attention and whatever weakens my position mm-hmm. as, as a, as a person, whatever weakens my family, I've become very skeptical of it because it, it benefits me nothing to buy into something and then have it adversely affect me or my family. And so yeah. I, I became very cognizant of this when I've always wanted to start a company. I've always wanted to build a business. And there was this period of time where every time I, I kind of took the leap and I tried to start something, I had such a hard time executing. Mm-hmm. And the more I meditated on why I was having a hard time executing, the more I realized it was like, it was because I was not in control of myself. And the more I started asking like, okay, why am I not in control of myself? It was like, okay, it's because you're not disciplined. And then mm. it was like, okay, if I'm going to get disciplined, what do I have to do? And that, that's, that's kind of made me look at the world. It, it, it's changed the way that I look at everything because now everything I come into contact with, I look at it critically before allowing it into my life. It's like, okay, is this thing, if I let it into my life, is it going to increase my attention? Is it, is it going to distract me? Is it going to take time from me? Is it going to make it easier for me to spend money? Is it going to make it easier for me to spend 20 minutes a day on my screen? Or is it going to increase my focus? Is it going to bring me closer to winning business? Is it going to give me new information that I have? And so I think one of the books that I read recently was Brave New World. Mm -hmm. And the book really gripped me, dude. Like for, for, for you, have you read the book? Not yet, but I wanna I wanna just jump in and put two points together there before you get into Brave New World. Two things. Go ahead. I recognize the difference in focusing like yes, you know, the older generation isn't great with technology. Great. But one thing I recognize is their ability to focus is far better than ours. Because I work with, you know, individuals older than myself and and I can execute very well. I know that for a fact. But just there because they don't have this like gadget that dings and alerts and you're looking at the gadget every so often to see what's going on. When it comes to just doing a task and getting it done, they have a really good ability. I've seen it with the person I run this job with. He's just like laser in focus. And I was like, that's what's missing in our society, our generation. And I saw an article recently, you know that they have a shortage on ADHD medication as of 2023. 
how many Good. people got diagnosed with ADHD. And I feel the phone inadvertently is producing either ADHD symptoms or giving or reprogramming in the mind to have ADHD. Mm-hmm. I don't have data to back that up, but I'm just, you, you, you can feel I, the wind without knowing how the wind is created. That's what I said, well that, said. right? Yeah, yeah, well said, so, bro, well said. Look, I'm, I'm going to make a point on yeah. what you're saying before I jump back into Brave New World. And I think one of the, 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 the big forces I think that exists in our society right now is there's a big tension between mm. us and that older generation. Yes. And I think, you know that I'm a huge fan of the hero's journey, you know? Absolutely. And the hero's journey is when you kind of confront your demons, you do the work that you need to do to become who you're meant to become. You become stronger and then you confront your destiny, mm. right? But part of the hero's journey is you, you also figure out how to work with the older generation. Because mm. at a certain point, you have, to, you have to clue into the reality that we exist as the human race, right? Fine. And listen to this. They realize that when people get divorced, they lose 25% of their knowledge. In my household, in my household, there are certain things that my wife takes care of that I don't do. Right. Like she handles the health insurance. So if I were to, God forbid, lose my wife, now I would be struggling with like how to figure out health insurance and premiums and all this. I would be 25% stupider in that regard. Mm. Do you understand? Yeah, I get it. on On a larger scale, as a species, as the human race, every generation has a slice of knowledge, right? right? And the and the youngest generation is on the cutting edge. But the older generation, they know a lot of things. Like, do you realize, do you realize that someone today who's 90 years old, like my grandmother, my grandmother is 97 years old. Her mother saw Napoleon's time. Mm. Well, do you understand? Yeah. Well, yeah, I didn't even realize that. But yeah, you're right. So Napoleon is two old ladies away from me. So, yeah, yeah, you're right. <laughs> you know, part, part of part of the hero's journey, part of the hero's journey is figuring out how to bridge that gap between the old generation as us. Like, are they boomers? Yes. Do they have very little imagination? Yes, they have no imagination at, <laughs> at all. Are, do do do, do are, you know? Are they difficult to work with most of the time? But it's like, dude, they know a lot. And and they also oh have, God. and they and they also have a superpower that most of us don't have. Like they're like, actually, unfortunately, a lot of them are getting addicted to their phones. But a lot. Well, of them no, are- no, that might be the case because of later on. But like I said, I mean, I see, I literally see the difference. I've been on projects where you know you have a ton of young people running the job, and I've been on a pro- projects where you have a good mix of a, a good recipe of senior management paying attention to the details and a younger person also paying attention. And, you know, the bravado is not there. Everyone just kind of gets in their work. I mean, listen, this guy's, he's also an inspiration to me. I, I know I execute well, right? But I'm talking about someone where, you know, I can get up early in the morning to lead, right? I get to work at six o'clock. By the time I get to work at six o'clock, this person is there. The gate is open. He's probably shoveled the snow already that's in front of the trailer. I sit down in his vest, ready to work. 
Sounds like he's the one to enforce, bro. Day. Every day. There's not one day where that doesn't happen. Unless I come in earlier than that, right? Then, are you talking about executing? The time that most people spend at work, he's probably gotten done two days worth of work that someone who's younger without the experience and also can articulate themselves in words on paper because it's a weapon if you know what you're doing. He's also a lawyer 100%. by trade. He's a construction person who studied law, who was also in the, the, the Navy. I mean, just that mixed bag, it's a, it's a literal weapon. It's, you know, it's a literal, like you said, an order in force. And just to see, he wakes up in the morning, he works out. He does his push-ups, he does his sit up He gets to work with his vest, execute, then go back home and work out at the end of the day, every day. It's Tell me how much person bro, or age group 30 is doing that. Uh, Not a lot. You know? very, so. very, very little. But, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to touch on the fact that Ever since I've I've started working on building my company and mm-hmm. I've jumped, like I have no day job, I have no income whatsoever. Right. It's uh, it's pushed me to start waking mm-hmm. up early, and nice. so, you know, we were talking before about taking risk and how yep. it's hard to take risk, especially when you don't have a certain parachute. One of the things that's really been helping me take that leap of faith, and I promise we're going to go back to Brave New World because I want to make that point, but. You know, one of the things that's helped me execute, one of the things that's helped me take the risk, one of the things that's kind of empowered me to do what your project manager is doing, mm-hmm. and, I, you know, I'm a pretty young guy, is my religion, mm-hmm. you know, is being, is being a Muslim. Yeah. And I think Islam is kind of having a moment right now in the, the marketplace, if you will, where it's kind of on the uptick and a lot of people are kind of cluing into it and realizing that it's kind of a force that can kind of strengthen you. And I'm, I'm going to use this as a segue to Brave New World, if you'll allow me. Yeah, go ahead. You know? So I was talking to you about when I come into contact with anything, I look at it very critically and I'm like, is right. this going to strengthen me or is it going to weaken me? Right? right. Like when I enter malls now, malls annoy the crap out of me because I realize that a mall is designed in such a way to maximize the amount of money that it takes from me. Mm. They design it in such a way. They have the smell set up a certain way. They make you walk through the mall a certain way. So you're, you know, so you see all like the new products. Every time you walk into a mall, you're enticed to spend money, Mm. right? So I'm going to tie it into Brave New World and I'm going to bring it back to the Muslim point and then I'm going to bring it back to Chris. Every time you think of a dystopian future, you think of like a government that's using excessive force right? Like if you say anything, the thought police are going to come in and they're going to arrest you and they're going to re-educate you kind of like North Korea or China, right? Right. Well, that's not the dystopian future that Aldous Huxley envisions in Brave New World. Mm. The dystopian future he envisions is one where the government understands that if they use force like that, people are going to push back harshly. Right. So what, so what do the powers that be do in Brave New World? Well, they pacify the masses with endless pleasures. Absolutely. I love that you bring that point. I wanted to talk to you about that. We're going to get there. So in general. Yeah, yes, sir. So, so, so they create this drug called Soma, where mm-hmm. the, the little phrase they give in the book is like, anytime you feel something bad, like if you have a bad sentiment, you just take a little bit of Soma and you won't feel anything. Right. They make it so that there's no stigma whatsoever around, you know, promiscuity, like sleeping around like crazy. Right. Uh, 
the foods are delectable. There are no bad smells. There's no pain. There's nothing horrible. There's no bad feelings anywhere. And what that winds up doing to the people in the society in the book is they all become pacified and they become uh, weak. Right. Right. And so to tie it back to kind of like what you're, what you're doing here, right? Like if you're, if you're living in that kind of loop where you're always pacified with pleasure, you are not in the mindset to plan. You're not in the mindset to execute. You're not right. going to have the stomach for taking risks. You just right? can't. You can't. And so to, to bring it to the religious point, right? Right. There was a period in my life where I hated religion very much, mm-hmm. right? Because I kind of, I, I took that conventional view of it, that it was the opium of the masses, like right. Karl Marx said. But in reality, it's like your weapon. Do you understand? Yes. Like, if, you, if, if you're a person who, who has a faith, right? Like if you're a Christian, if you're a Jew, like I happen to be a Muslim. Yeah. I think it's the one true, I think it's the one true faith. That's different. Everyone thinks there is, is but yeah. Go ahead. Eh, okay. All right. All right. We'll leave it there. But it's, it's kind of like a framework that's set up to strengthen you. So like in, in Islam, we have the morning prayer, you know, right. and you, you wake up at five in the morning, five thirty in the morning, you go to the mosque. Like if you do that consistently, if you work that into your schedule, like, dude, mm-hmm your day is set up for success. Like now you're able to do what you're like. Now you're able to get into the office by 6am. If you're fasting during Ramadan every year and you abstain from certain things that you indulge in all the time, Mm -hmm. you have the knowledge like, okay, I could walk around from something. I could walk away from something. That's a good indulgence to me. So, you know, I I like that. I like that. And I I know you're going to bring it back to Chris. One of the things like, for instance, just the military, what your military is usually your best operations team, right? Mm -hmm. In general, they're very good at executing a task, Navy SEAL stuff like that. And they, like I said, they give themselves structure. You wake up in the morning, you spread your bed, you order your space. Your space is always neat. It's always orderly if you can make it so before you move on with the rest of your day. And the moment you have to do that before you leave, it forces you to come to the thought pattern that, hey, I have to get up earlier to order yes, myself. And so yeah, yeah, just yeah. having that, where you have a structured time for prayer, like you said, you are the ordering force at the company. The yeah. ordering force in your life now are these structured prayers. These times exactly. you have to pray. Exactly. So there you have to know become more operationally efficient. What I will say though, is that philosophy, religion, like stoicism, um, Christianity, um, being of Islam faith, being Muslim, I think at the essence of it, if you can recognize of having a critical thinking mind, right? And stop giving into pleasures of the world, but um, sacrifice, even with, um, we, we, even to get into Epictetus, we can talk about Aristotle, we can talk about Nietzsche, right? Mm-hmm. All of them recognize that for you to get stuff done, for you to live a, a life of courage, of strength and valor, and the things that get men excited to move. And like, the way I see it, uh, this happens in Jamaica, like, that people see the crime in Jamaica and they're like, you know, what can we do for the crime in Jamaica? I was like, well, ultimately, it's not just about the the economic conditions, right? It's also that men have a, a force, right? Just, just think about an iron worker 
200 feet up, pulling, stealing, bolting it down, right? And do that, drink his coffee, go to home, go home, eat, and come back and does that every day. That's a force of nature, right? If that mm-hmm. force isn't organized and put into a productive 100%, means, bro. 100%, it is going 100%. To, it has 100%. to go somewhere. And you know from physics, Khalid, that we don't create our, our destroy energy. It just moves from one form to yes, the sir. next. Yes, sir. Look, so it's I'm either you're going to use the force of nature inside you to do something productive or it is going to destroy you, right? Absolutely. And look, A lot of people I'm who are alcoholics back. or addicts, if they found yes, ways That's to exactly focus the energy, they will become such productive human beings, right? That's exactly what I was going to say. That's exactly what I was going to say. And that's kind of one of the, the, the main things that I'm starting to see in our society today. And that was one of the, that like, that's the idea that I'm trying to direct people to mm-hmm. with, with the newsletter that I put out right. because I'm not seeing any voices in the culture. Right. Or, or at least not in my circle. Like I know that the Jordan Peterson's like to talk about it. I know that Andrew Tate's like to talk about it, but right. in a, in, in, in our little circles, right. I'm not seeing that it's something that people are talking about. I'm not seeing that it's something we're talking about. And look, bro, I think a lot of young guys, I think people our age, they hit their their dark days, right? And I've right. been there, you've been there, my brother's been there, my friends have been there. Absolutely. The things that I'm trying to write about on, on my newsletter are the things to kind of strengthen you mm. against like that misallocation of energy. And I yes. look around me and like it's not the 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 dominant voice in our culture. Right. The ideas that strengthen people, that strengthen young men. And, and it, it works for young women, too. You know, I think a lot of times people look, like look at it as men. I, I think it, it could work for young women, too. But like, for example, one of the pieces that I put together was how I think our society is hypersexualized. Right? right. And I think that's one of the topics that like people would never think about. And that was mm. I'm, I'm really drawn to things that no one else is talking about because, right. because I'm looking I'm looking for those hidden truths. You know? Absolutely. And so you, you bring up that point about like, you have a lot of energy. If you don't direct your energy in the correct way, it's going to get misallocated and it's going to be destructive. And mm-hmm. so I think the question of hypersexualization in our society, right, is one that's not looked at. It's not considered. But at the same time, people are screaming about like rape culture on campuses. There's the Me Too thing. There's the epidemic of porn addiction. There's, right. there's, 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 you know, there's erectile dysfunction amongst young people. There's right. porn addiction. There's all this. It's like, okay, well, look, you have all these problems. Clearly, there's a misallocation of energy, right? Like Absolutely. If, if, these people, if these people were going out there and they were taking the proper risks and they were executing, they wouldn't be getting sucked into this. But they're getting sucked into it. It's draining all their energy. And it, it's kind of like lowering the vibe of the whole society. I love you said that because... That's essentially what I was um, pointing to with the in the culture in Jamaica, specifically with the persons committing the most crime. I know I spend most time on the males, but I I, I, I try to the hidden truths all tie back to the uh, parade of distribution. There are twenty percent of things we need to focus on that will give us eighty percent of the result that we're looking for, and the hidden truths are those outlier things that would give us the 80% with the, with the big males that are committing the crime. 
Hey, I mean, heinous crimes killing. I'm talking about killing moms, killing older women, you know, just ridiculous amounts of ridiculous crime. What's causing that is a man between 14 and 30. If you had a, a, an avenue to put that energy to, that energy that is destructive it's kind of like how we had the modulus. You remember when you, it doesn't matter the, the mm -hmm. negative or the positive. It's really yep. the magnitude of the energy. If mm -hmm. that magnitude of the energy was used productive instead of destructive, you could do so much with it. You know what I mean? Yes, sir. But it yes, just sir. needs to get harnessed and directed in a productive means, which means I really think politicians should be project managers. I don't think, I think <laughs> honest to God, I really think they should come from a project management standpoint as a, because I think a politician, they have the P, which is the P in the front for politician, but it should be project manager because they come, they, they say the dreaming. things. They do a lot of dreaming and they do a lot of planning, but planning, but no execution, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. no skin in the game. Yeah, bro. Look, I think, I think that's kind of. To, to bring it back to like the idea of the vibe, right? Yeah. I think, I think that's what you're trying to do with the podcast. I think if more people were able to harness that power of execution, that belongs to everyone, by the way. Yep. Like everything around you was built by people just like you. They can execute. You can execute. Yes, I understand you may not have the same resources and privileges and all that, but on some level, there's somewhere that you could start, right? Absolutely. And if you could start executing, you can start being the ordering force in your little corner of the universe and it, and it trickles out. You know what I mean? And so that's, that's kind of what I'm trying to do as well with the newsletter that I'm putting out. Like there's these ideas that are not discussed. I think to, to, to bring it to, to, to the ordering force terms, like light is not being shined on them mm. and where there's no light chaos grows. And I think it's, I'm just kind of trying to shine, you know, the light on certain things that, I think are swallowing people up and making the world the worst place, you know? And at the end of the day, right? Like we're all looking for meaning. We all want purpose in our lives. And Absolutely. don't get me wrong, bro. I'm trying to make a billion dollars. I'm trying to be wealthy. I'm trying to provide for my family. I want to take money. I want to do philanthropy. I want to build. I want to leave a legacy. Mm. I don't want to be here for just for nothing. But that's kind of, it's not enough to motivate me. But mm. when I feel like what I'm doing, it might benefit someone else. And it might help someone avoid some of the mistakes that I've made. Damn. Then I, then I feel like, okay, you know what? This is really worth it. You know what I mean? And it adds on to that like motivation of trying to gain just uh, 100%. for myself. I think uh, what's missing is valor, courage, consistency, discipline. Um, and just, you know, when you think about the things you want to do for yourself, but also think about what you want to do for your common brother, and back in that, and I talk to Chris about this all the time, which is like, back in the day in schools, they used to teach civics, right? Civics was like mm -hmm. being a civil person of society. Looking how how to be a good citizen. Yes, yeah. And that, that's gone. I know what's replacing it. We have, like you said, the hypersexualization of society. Yeah. Talking about consumption, uh, consumption, overconsumption, drugs. Just using drugs, just, just instead of attacking your problems and standing 10 toes with your feet on the ground and mm -hmm. delineating and marching through problems, right? And having that 
that com commitment and consistency that I'm going to get it done. Just, just, just forget about it. Just drink it away. Just smoke well, it look. away. Just, you know, a fall of this. And that doesn't work. Like, if you want to get stronger in the weight room, you lift weights. You have to lift a, a, a heavier weight to get stronger. And it sucks while you're executing that weight, that, that lift, that deadlift. You know, you planned it. You thought about the deadlift. Now you have to lift the weight. But it's worth it at the end result when you're much stronger for it, you know. And I want to yeah, go bro. into like the athletic mindset because you know you just you you started doing jiu-jitsu, um, Brazilian jiu-jitsu. How's mm -hmm. how's that helped you, um, philosophy-wise, execution-wise in general? How do you find jiu-jitsu has been part of your life? I got you. I got you. I, I'm going to answer your question and I'm also going to tie it into a point that I wanted mm. to make. Okay. And I'm going to start the point off by saying that a lot of people that I know have started doing some form of martial arts or another. Mm. You know, a lot, a lot of people our age, it's, it's almost kind of fight club-esque where it's okay. like, there's this whole generation of guys that's like, I need to go fight. I, I need to be able to beat someone up and I, and I need to learn how to take a hit, you know? Right. And I think there are cycles in society. I think the, the, the collective consciousness kind of goes through waves where like everyone is kind of on the same feeling. And I think like, if you look in history, like, like around the time, like when Edison was inventing a bunch of stuff, Tesla was also inventing a bunch of stuff. Marconi was inventing a bunch of stuff. Uh, mm. They were they were laying railroads across the nation. They were laying telephone poles. They were building uh, the electric grids in all the cities. And that was kind of like a very ripe moment in history where there was a lot of uh, technological innovation. Right. That 20% did 80% of the work. Yes, sir. <laughs> yes, sir. But but the like what I'm saying is like, there's like peaks and valleys, like when like the consciousness kind of goes up and there's like this frenzied period of activity. Mm -hmm. And I think like, if you look at like when the United States was founded, right? Like the French Republic, right? Like they also had established democracy there. And then the United States was founded. And then I think like within like the next 50 years, a bunch of other democratic states were founded in history. Right. Or if you look at like the Arab Spring in the Middle East, like Tunisia, had a, an uprising. Libya had an uprising. Egypt had an uprising. And so I think that right now we're living at one of those periods in history where there's a high amount of energy and, and, and people are starting to wake up to a lot of these things that we're talking about. And so as right. like, as dire as the situation is, I think there's kind of like a great awakening going mm -hmm. on at the moment. So I, I think we live at a real cool moment in history, dude. And yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to bring it right into jujitsu. It, it feels like martial arts, uh, has been something that a lot of guys have been going into. And, you know, if you're out there and you're curious about trying jujitsu, uh, do it, do it. I started training December, 2021. I, I signed up on black Friday, uh, of 2021. And the reason that I signed up was, at a certain point, I started looking at my life and I felt like there was too much wishy-washiness. You know mm, what I mean? Right. Like I, I studied engineering, right? But there was this feeling inside where it was like, am I really an engineer or did I just get a degree because I showed up and I did the classes? Like, am I really about it? And like at my job, it was like, 
yeah, like it's a good job, but like someone else could look at it and say it's a bad job, you know? Right. And it felt like there were so many things in my life where it was like, yeah, it's a good job, but like maybe there's a bit of a gray area. It's not mm. obvious whether it, it, it is or it isn't. And I think getting to a, you know, it's easy to fall into that kind of gray area where things are and things are not. And it made me feel really uncomfortable. Mm. And, it, and, and once I realized that, I was like, I need to do something where there's no gray area. Like it either is good or it's bad. <laughs> right. And like, I look back on it now and it's like, I could have learned how to cook. You understand? Like you can cook something and it either tastes good or it tastes bad. Like, but right. the first thing I thought of was like, I'm going to learn how to fight. Mm. I don't know why. I, I guess it was because I didn't know how to fight and I always felt like some kind of deficiency in that way. And yeah. so I decided I was going to start training. And let me tell you, bro, you don't know that you're weak until you start fighting. Yeah. Like, you really, you know, like, and I, and I, like I was, I used to always lift. I, I was always exercising. I was like, oh, I'm young. I'm fit. I can do it, bro. I got my ass kicked so badly. It's not even funny. <laughs> yeah. And it was, it was, it, it, it's like one of those things where it's like, there's no gray area. Do you understand? It's like you either win the fight or you lose the fight. And it's nice to have something like that in your life because it kind of teaches you like, there's so many things in life where people are going to give you recognition and clap and give you an award or give you a diploma or give you a job or give you a salary. And you're like, eh, I didn't do it that well. Right. But then like, you realize like once you start fighting, like for you to win a tournament, for you to be able to, to go into a room and, and submit everybody in that room, like there's no gray area. Like you really got to be about it. And so there's so many times when we work on things and it's like, you know that you could do a little bit more, but you're like, ah, it's good enough. It's good enough. Good enough does not fly when, when you're fighting. Right. It's like, cause you're, cause you're fighting another person who's trying to get you. And so if you leave a little good enough on the table, they're going to pick it up. Yeah. And they're going to, and they're going to beat, and, and they're going to beat your ass with it. Listen, I mean, that's the, that's the, that's the heart of, um, going on a, a journey where you're, you're not, you try, you look, you're trying, like, but look, when you're trying to find out how much you can get out of yourself, mm -hmm. you, you keep on trying to expose yourself to situations that are more and more difficult. Absolutely. And so I'm a white belt and I like rolling with other white belts, but I like training me with some purple belts, bro. Absolutely. I like those, I like those brown belt rolls. I like those blue belt rolls. Cause it's like, I want it to be as hard as possible because when I do beat you, then it's really satisfying. You know what? You know what? Um, I recognized too. I was, I was looking at even just cartoons I watched growing up as a kid, and the difference between anime and Western cartoons, right? And why Dragon Ball Z is such a prevalent thing in our society. In every aspect, I know you didn't watch a lot of Dragon Ball Z growing up, uh, so I'll tell you why I, I like some parts of anime is. I'm listening. The, the, the person inside there, the main character, is not like Superman or Batman and all these other characters who were bestowed with power and then have to learn how to channel it. Typically, they have to train very hard. And it shows you in those shows how someone, for you to get to the next level, you have to train and work very hard to get to the next yeah, level. Yeah, bro, yeah. And it, it shows the main character not being good being a novice, not being adequate, 
and making the decision in mind that I want to be better and I'm going to work very hard to get it. Yo, and, and that makes a difference as a kid. And I bring it back because, you no, know, these kids are watching these cartoons and they recognize for me to get next level in my life, I have to put hard work in. Whereas a fixed mindset is like, well, some people are just born with talent and some people are just not. Listen, let me tell yeah. you something. A lot of people like to dream. Yep. Some people like to plan. Most people don't like to execute. Period. And I think deep down, I think deep down, a lot of people know that they're not doing the hard work. Right. And it hurts. And so what do they do to kind of ease the pain? They, 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 they make the appearances mm. that, that they're successful. You know, mm. a lot of people, they get lost in the sauce in that way where, okay, they don't actually own the nice car. But as long as you think they own the nice car, as long as they, they could be seen on Instagram with the appearance of the nice thing, they're okay with it. And I think it's a very seductive path where you kind of get sucked into like appearances. Right. But appearances, appearances is not real, dude. Like uh, there's, you have to cash that check one day. <laughs> yes, there's exactly, exactly. And so I think martial arts is one of the, the few places that it's very easy to, to know if it's real or if it's fake. Right. And it's like, it's like we could literally find out in the next five minutes. It's like, are you actually good or are you garbage? And <laughs> I need that. I no, no, I look. No, I but it's that. the truth. It's the truth. It's a, it's a I, level of mastery. It's not like, are you a master at it or are you not? It's really just, yeah. it is or it I, isn't, you know? Yeah. And I just felt like I needed that kind of energy in my life where there was no gray area that if I made it look like it was good, it mm -hmm. would fly by. You know, like, yo, that's why, that's why I, I loved Waleed, our senior yes. design professor so much, dude. Like he was, he was the real deal and he knew if you were not the real deal and he would tell you. And I think it's, it's like the failing of being nice or being agreeable. Mm -hmm. right. It's like, you don't have the heart to tell people that they're garbage when they're garbage, but like, don't walk around telling people that they're garbage, but the world would be a better place if less garbage thought it was good, bro. Yeah, well, you know what? I hear that. And I like, we all respected the lead for it, right? Because he was just looking yeah, through bro. his soul, right? And he's yeah, just like, yeah. and, and he's just like, no, he, you know, he's, you remember what he said? He's like, if doctors knew as much as we knew as engineers, everyone would be dead. Yeah, <laughs> bro. Look, I think, uh, I think, I think there's, kind of like a, a quiet, unanimous agreement that the quality of engineers has gone down. I think there's like a sentiment in the United States that things are kind of sliding in mm -hmm. a bad direction. And I think a lot of the things that we're talking about here are, are issues that we need to start addressing as a generation. We right. need to kind of stop focusing on appearances. We need to stop dreaming, dreaming and planning. And we got to start executing. And we kind of got to make our peace we got we to gotta start making our peace with our demons. We have to kind of start pulling in the right direction. And I think there's a lot of defeatism in the air. I think a lot of people think that it can't be done or it doesn't work or it's not worth it. But it's like, is that true? Or are you just copping out because you're too scared to execute, bro? Like, you don't want to, like, you just don't want to take the risk. You know what I mean? And it's like, if you're scared, just admit that you're scared. Because once you admit that you're scared, then you're like, all right, how do I stop being scared? But once you start talking all that, oh, it's not worth it and it can't work, it's like, what are we going yeah. to do? You know what I mean? Yeah, no, you're 100% right. It's just um, clearly something in, in my life is trying to get me to pay attention to this. Know that I'm 
kidding. It's asking me to bring it forward. It's asking me to execute it. And the moment you just put it to the side, you just um, you just uh, afforded yourself a lack of opportunity to get in something that would raise your spirit and raise the value of people around you. For instance, I came out to Minnesota, right? It was in the middle of me planning my wedding. The opportunity came for me to go and build a data center. And it didn't come at the perfect time. But I was like, listen, I'm going to get an opportunity to learn something that I probably would not get a chance to do being in the city. So yeah, it's Minnesota. Yeah, it's cold, but who cares? I'm going to learn. And I'm going to go there. And I go there. You know, you're coming from New York. You think you're a big shot. You're this, that. You're doing this. And then you come here and you see the trades work and the level and the detail and the commitment and the and the, the paying attention to details. And that happens in New York, don't get me wrong. But New York has size buildings because the economy financially constitute for the buildings to be that big. But don't take, you know, take away from the fact that the buildings out in Minnesota aren't that big. They have the same level of execution skill as an electrician in New York. And I, I was like, whoa, I was mind blown by that. So you think you're coming from New York as the, you know, the guy. You come over here, you go, okay, all right, there's levels to this and there's a level to the understanding that you don't have. And you, you get humbled. And then you get humbled, you go, all right, well, I want to, this, this is the reason you came over here is to learn, to take the advantage to learn. You have no distractions, you know, dive in head first and you know, emerge yourself into you know humbling your spirit and learning. And I've I think just one year I learned more than I learned in maybe three, four years in a one year experience. So do you think you know, it's because just, yeah. Is it because you humbled yourself or is it because you took yourself? I think it's, I think it's both, both. It's humbling yourself so that you're not in your bravado to think you know everything. That's one list. I think most people listen. They don't listen. They just wait for the person to stop talking so they can talk. That's one. Um, so just being able to like, yeah, you might be in a position of, you know, authority, but one of the things you need to recognize the person who is executing is going to have a more nuanced understanding. As a project manager, I have, especially on, on site, I have a closer attention to detail than maybe someone who's further out, but I'm not the one bending the pipe. I'm not the one actually drilling the holes in the wall, right? So the person who's doing that, I have to you know, pay attention to what they're saying and listen and take all that information in and organize it in a way and put it into a plan. And recognize a position of play. Like if it's a football team, having your quarterback play offensive lineman don't make sense, right? <laughs> Just know your position and master your position. So that person's, you become, like you said, the ordering force. You know, if you have a good offensive lineman, you respect him for what he does, right? But you are the quarterback, master your position so he can have respect for you in your position too, you know? So... Yeah, man, it's been it's been good in that regard. But I like how you um kind of the jujitsu um understanding of it's either good or bad. If you're not good, get better type deal. You yeah, because like I I think I I hate that that thing where it's like oh you know like 
it's a sensitive generation and it's the generation of like the, um, the participation trophies. Like I get it. I, I get what they're trying to say, but I think it's, I think it's like an inevitable thing that happens where like, if the standard of living goes up, people kind of expect things to be easier. All right. We live in an environment where everything is kind of like on demand. Everything is made to be easy. So like, it's a very harsh reality, but the things that you want and who you want to be, they're actually like, just imagine how hard you think it's going to be to get to where you want to get. Right. And it's like, it's probably like three times harder than that. Like <laughs> that's a fact, you know what I mean? And it's like, you, you like, yeah, I'm willing to make sacrifices and it's like, yeah, but like, dude, sacrifices are not like the things that you're thinking are sacrifices. Sacrifices are like, okay, like you need to take like less of those like five minute breaks every time you write a sentence. Like you need to like, you need to like write until like your head hurts. Like sacrifices, sacrifice is not like, Oh, you know, I'm, I'm going to show up three days a week, no matter what sacrifice is like, I'm going to show up three days, no matter what. And I'm going to go until I feel like I'm going to throw up. Yes. Sacrifice, sacrifice is like doing like taking the risk and like crying Cause you're like so scared, like, Oh my God, like, how am I going to pay the rent? Like, that's what sacrifice is. And it's like a lot of people like, it's like, Oh, I'll do it later or not now or whatever. And it's like, like that's sacrifice is not doing that. You know, yeah. sacrifice is biting, sacrifice is biting the bullet and like recognizing that it's just not going to be fun. And like the level of comfort that you've gotten used to. And I know you think you're not used to a level of comfort. And I know you think that like you're doing the things that need to be done, but like, None of us are. Yeah, of you, us we are, can bro. all like, we can all go harder than we think we can. Yeah, but we 100%. are going. hundred percent. Because like, yeah. yo, you 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 jump into history and you look at like like look. There's a story that I love on this other podcast. Yeah. Um, called How to Take Over the World, which I yeah. highly recommend to you. Yeah, I'm gonna go listen to it. There's a story about Julius Caesar. Mm. He was, I think, thirty or maybe he was 23 or something. But anyway, he sees a statue of Alexander the Great and he starts crying. Mm. And his his friends are like, why are you crying? And he was like, by the time he was my age, he conquered the known world. What have I done? Mm. So like, it's a very natural feeling to feel like you're not there yet. It's a very natural feeling to feel like, oh my God, I can't get there. But like, dude, just be the person that you want to be, you know? And, and be yeah. the person that you want to be consistently keep on like pushing the boundaries and like the beautiful thing with like cluing into your attention and not focusing so much on what you know or what you don't know is look at where your attention is going and start focusing more of your attention on making the things you want happen happen and you're halfway towards executing yeah i think i want to kind of wind down on that topic and point because what i recognize is is either you are doing P-like work or C-like stuff. It's either you're a producer or a consumer, right? Yes, yes. Period. And it's just like, what? What am I consuming now or am I producing now? And for you to produce, you have to execute. And if you're not producing, you're likely consuming and you get the same dopamine energetic response without the, the, the actual result of the work, right? Like you can sit down and just watch stuff versus 
making stuff, you know what I mean? Or doing stuff or building stuff. Yep. The process yep. of industrialism, the word industrialism literally to me means building. And the activity of building is not just construction. I think construction kind of gives you an opportunity to see what building something is like because you are just, you're building something. But that can be a, um, a software, building a software. That could be, you know, putting together a movie. Whatever that soul urge intuition that you feel that you should bring to the world and more industrialism, more people being industrious with their time and effort is what's lacking ultimately. Yeah, dude. Cause, cause you know what you sit down and you watch a movie. What do you have mm-hmm. to show for it? Not much. I like, oh, movies, yeah, you, you, you get, you get a thought pattern of thinking about something. You know? Yeah. Like, but like if yeah. you build something or if you work on improving yourself, once you're done, you have that thing. You understand? Like that's a fact. You went you and I went through the ringer that was poly, and now we have engineering degrees forever. Right. So like it's it's like uh there's an asymmetrical return on execution. Right. You know? Like you're you're always actually gonna wind up getting more when you give. When you when you give your effort. Absolutely. It's one of the hallmarks of being a a fulfilled living person, man. It's just um, you have to make sacrifices. You made and like just to bring it back to that poly point, like you know, sleeping at the library. I was like, I can't go home right now. If I go home, I'm not going to be able to pass my classes. So, you know, you have to get to a point where you're just like, it has to get done. You're going to do what you need to do. I was actually telling my wife sacrifices. Yeah, go ahead. I was I was actually telling my wife a story about you and the library. Mm. And I was, I was telling her, one of the things that I, I loved so much about you is that a lot of people that started off at Poly with us, they didn't yeah. graduate. Right. And I think they got into the, the university, right? Yeah. They had the dream. And they, they were planning, I'm going to do this and that. And then they came up against that hard moment where it was like, yeah. yo, this is no joke. Like, <laughs> I remember I, I, got, I got a 36 on my first lab report when we got to Polly. Yeah. And you know, and, and I remember, remember professor Morgan, he had a story like that too, where he, he yeah. had like um, an exam that he got like a nine on. <laughs> yep. So like, you know, everyone, everyone got to Polly and they had that moment where it was like, Oh, this is like, this is hard. Like this is not yeah. going to be easy. And a lot of people, they, instead of like biting the bullet and being like, all right, I'm going to get harder and I'm going to see my way through it. They kind of just washed out. Right. And you didn't, you understand? And it was like, you used to always make that joke that it was like 2 a.m. Ramon, because you would understand yep. it at 2 a.m. But it was like, but bro, you understood it. Yeah, yeah. It's just giving yourself grace. I think I've never had a easy academic experience. It's not like things came easy to me. But through that struggle, I learned how to execute really well. And I gave myself the grace to all right, I'm not going to understand it. No, but I'm going to understand it. So I'm going to exactly. do the work. So that means if like, you know, for most people, like, you know, let's talk about Anthony Comayate. I sat beside Anthony in statics class. Literally, Anthony was shoulder to shoulder me in statics class. We took the exam, right? Midterm. Anthony is done in 20 minutes. Anthony is given in this paper. Teacher gives it back to him. He's like, oh, you might have a mistake. Anthony, look at it again. He's like, nah, here, I'm done. Everybody <laughs> else in the class is asking for extra time, bro. 
Everyone in the class is getting 20 and 30. Anthony gets a 99. There's a negative yeah, sign bro. that was wrong on his exam. Yo, yo. And, and like, you know what, bro? Like, I feel like that was the thing that mm-hmm. made me appreciate my friendship with you. Because it was like, bro, I want to have someone like that next to me. You know what I mean? Because right. like, it's like, it's like, who do you want in the trenches next to you? The guy who washes out when, 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 <laughs> when it gets a little bit hard or the guy who's going to like tough it out. And so... Exactly. That's that's it, that's, man. That, that's how I'm gonna end it, bro. That's yeah. how I'm gonna end it. No, I appreciate doing, that. Keep, keep doing what you're doing, bro. I, Before I, you I'm leave, you gotta give it. people your social media handles, bro. You give them your handles. Okay. Okay. So on Twitter, it's Khalid Goose. So K H A L E D Goose, and on Instagram, it's the same thing, but there's an underscore between the Khalid and the Goose. And you can gotcha, I'd appreciate gotcha. it if you throw that in the um absolutely in the, notes in the description. Absolutely. And bro, I, I, I can't wait to get back on the podcast once you have video as well. That's yes, sir. Yes, sir. No, I appreciate you coming on. Like I said before we leave, I just wanted to let you know, man. It's been a pleasure being your friend. It's been oh, good. Same way, uh, same way. You've been one of those persons, even when we're going through poly. Uh, we we spent Friday nights doing exams and classes together, but your character hasn't changed. You've always been a person who has good intentions. Of I always said to my um, because my dad always asks about you. I'm a, and he's just, I was like, Khalid is one of those friends that if I get in a car accident on the road and I need to call somebody, I'm gonna call Khalid and he'll fly over. If it means flying over, he'll do it because yeah, when, he mean, when he means well for you, he means well for you. You know, he wants to see you win as a friend because you, you know, that's just the nature of the person. And I just want to, you know, give you your flowers for that because in this world, there's a lot of persons who don't have that character about them, and that's part of your signature strength is your to really put it all out on the table with whatever you're doing in friendship and business and whatever you're doing, you know. So I appreciate I'm, you coming I'm on very the call, grateful. brother. I'm very yeah, grateful, bro. Let's 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 just take that energy and spit it in and 10 years, bro. In 10 years, people will see. All right, brother. Keep safe, all right? God bless, Ramon. Thank you for having me, buddy. Same to you, man. Come on, anytime. Bye. Take care, bro. We've come to the end of the episode. Always remember the road to greatness is long and hard. Always focus on progress over perfection. Execute relentlessly. Like, share, and subscribe. And I'll see you soon. Keep safe. We've come to the end of the episode. Always remember the road to greatness is long and hard. Always focus on progress over perfection. Execute relentlessly. Like, share, and subscribe, and I'll see you soon. Keep safe.